Last week, we began a series in the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Mark presents in rapid succession a a series of events in Jesus' life. And the first event where we see Jesus is at his baptism. Notice there is no birth narrative in the Gospel of Mark. That came with later Gospel writers who thought, hmm, maybe we should say something about his birth. But Mark begins here at his baptism because this is where Jesus' ministry and power begins. So let's read about it in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, why was Jesus baptized? John came preaching uh, a message of repentance, and his baptism was one of repentance, and, and Jesus had nothing to repent of. So why was Jesus baptized? In fact, John, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, and Jesus requesting to be baptized, said, uh, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. Uh, have you thought that, you know, John and Jesus probably knew each other? You know, Mary went to visit Elizabeth, her relative, who was John's mom. And so John probably heard about his own miraculous birth and the miraculous birth of his cousin Jesus. So Jesus comes down from Galilee, and he comes down to Judea, and he approaches John, and he says, "Um, I want you to baptize me. And John says, why? I should be baptizing you. And Jesus says, it is necessary that we do this now to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Jesus came as our representative, took on human flesh as our representative. He identified with us as sinners. And so he would go through this baptism of repentance, even though he had nothing to repent of. Jesus also came as our model, and he will fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law. And as our model, Jesus will also be baptized, which is something God wants all of us to do. Also, Jesus represents Israel. He is the new Israel who this time will do what Israel was supposed to do. Remember, God called Israel out of Egypt. And Matthew, Matthew says of Jesus coming from Egypt because Joseph and Mary, you know, fled to Egypt. Matthew would say, out of Egypt, I called my son. So Jesus also would come out of Egypt. Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea. 
Peter said they were baptized into Moses by passing through the waters of the Red Sea. And now Jesus will pass through the waters of baptism. Israel, after passing through the Red Sea, uh, was tested in the wilderness. And now Jesus, after his baptism, next week we'll read how he was tested in the wilderness. Jesus is the new Israel. And this time, the second Israel will do everything God commands. So Jesus was baptized by John, and when he came up out of the water, he saw heaven torn open, probably that meant the clouds parted, and descending on him in the form of a dove was the Holy Spirit. The other gospel writers say that the dove descended and then uh, hovered over Jesus. And when you read the first few verses of the book of Genesis, it tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And in the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same words are used in this passage as in the New Testament, where the Spirit hovered over Jesus. And then a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And so here, in the very first few verses of Mark, we see the Trinity. We see the Son. We see the Spirit, we see the Father. So let me talk a little bit about the Trinity and its essential essence because it will have implications for our lives. So the teaching of Scripture is that there is one God, one God, and yet it talks about three persons as God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. We can't really get our heads around this. One God, but each one of them are called God. And so I'm not going to try to understand it today and spend three hours trying to explain the, the, the nuances of the Trinity. But let's just say that God is complex and that we cannot reduce him into a thing we can understand and put him in a box. But we will affirm that there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one in substance and in eternity and in purpose, and they move as one. But their, their essential essence is relationship. From the very beginning, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been in this relationship of love. Before the creation, when there was nothing of the creation, the Father was loving and delighting in his Son. The Son was loving and delighting in the Father. This has always been going on and for all eternity. If there was ever a time when the Son did not exist, then there was a time when God was not a Father and was not actively loving someone. And so this eternal God has always been in this relationship of love. Love is his essential essence. And thus the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created the world and created us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loved each other, and so it seemed entirely natural 
for this love to overflow and for them to create creatures on whom they would lavish their love upon. In fact, for this reason we were created and for this reason we were saved. We were created for love and we were saved for grace. So what does this mean for us? It means that if you are in Christ, you have always been loved. You were chosen out of love. You were pursued out of love. You were brought to Christ out of love. You are kept in Christ because of love. This is true of all who are in Christ. Now the question, do you believe it? You believe you are always loved. There is never any time that you are not loved. If an eternal God ever loved you, then he always loves you. He loves you when you're good, and he loves you when you're bad. He loves you when you're serving him. He loves you when you're deathly ill. He loves you when uh, you're walking with him and you feel his presence. He loves you when you don't even think about him. He is always loving you. And so do not look at outward circumstances as a measure of God's love. Do not even measure your inward feelings as a measure of God's love. Do not base your performance and connect that to God's love. God loves you. His eternal essence is love. Now let's return to the baptism scene. The father declares his love for the son and says, In you I am well pleased. Another way to translate it is, In you I delight. And we also see the spirit baptize Jesus. Did he catch that nuance? The spirit baptized Jesus. Yes, John baptized Jesus, but the spirit also baptized Jesus by coming on him and filling him. And the same thing happens to us. The Father declares his love for us and declares us his children. The Father says he delights on us. The, the Spirit is poured out on us. We too are baptized by the Spirit or with the Spirit. Last week we read a verse where John said, I baptize you with water. But after me is going to come someone who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who is John talking about? He was talking about Jesus. He's the one who would come after. And what would Jesus do? He would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has. Because when Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, 
Our hearts are regenerated. Remember that word, regenerate. It means to take what was dead and to make it alive again. So our hearts were dead like stone towards God. But something happened. We were regenerated. We were regenerated when Jesus baptized us in the Holy Spirit. And now our heart seeks God. Our hearts are responsive to God. Our hearts are able to receive the truth that the Holy Spirit reveals to us about God. The regeneration of our hearts gives birth to faith, and the Holy Spirit is poured out into our hearts, causing us to cry out to God in a loving way, Abba, Father. This happened because Jesus baptized us with the Holy Spirit. So now let's talk about the connection with water baptism and baptism by the Spirit. Water baptism is something commanded of us by God. We use water as a symbol, and it represents the washing away of our sins and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It's visible. We see it. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward meaning. So now let me explain how the relation between water baptism and spirit baptism works in a person's life. So let's say um, there's a, a young woman, and here's what we see. We see her coming to faith in Jesus, professing his faith, and we see her being baptized with water. That's what we see. But behind the scenes of her life, there was God, putting people and circumstances in her life, people who would bear witness to her, circumstances that would give, show her a need for God. And then at some point in her life, Jesus baptized her with the Holy Spirit, and that regenerated her heart. Now she wanted God, and when someone shared the gospel with her, she believed, and she professed faith in Christ. And as a result of that, out of obedience, she was baptized. Get the connection? A baptism of the Holy Spirit happened first. Then she was baptized. Sometimes regeneration happens after baptism. When we present a child in baptism, we pray that God will regenerate this child. And so the water, which represents the washing away of sins, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is done in anticipation of God regenerating that child. And then sometime in middle school, we have a confirmation ceremony where they confirm to you and to God that the faith I was baptized into is now my faith, and I confirm that I've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And so they were baptized visibly, but
before, somewhere between that baptism and that confirmation, Jesus regenerated them and brought them to faith. And so sometimes people are baptized after they're regenerated. And sometimes, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, after they're regenerated. And sometimes they're baptized before they're regenerated. The important thing is, is that a person is regenerated. And out of obedience, they're also baptized with water. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because you will hear that phrase in charismatic circles, and here's what they understand it to be. They believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second blessing, a second filling of the Holy Spirit, which manifests itself in the speaking of tongues. But I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches, and it is not the position of most of the church around the world. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when Jesus pours out his Spirit on us, thus regenerating our hearts, and when he regenerates our hearts, he also gives us the Holy Spirit. It enables us to have faith. It gives us a source of direction and wisdom. He helps us in interpreting the word. He guides us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us for ministering, gives us particular gifts, whatever gifts he decides. But there's no particular gift like tongues that says you're regenerated by the Spirit. Here's how you tell if you're regenerated by the Spirit. Do you believe in Christ? Do you love Christ? Do you desire to serve Christ? Only people regenerated by the Spirit can do that. Now, as I thought of the application of today's message, I thought we really have no better application than our marks of discipleship. And uh, they're on the back of your bulletin. Let me tell you how they came about. Our chief work as a church is to make authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. To make disciples of those who do not know him yet, and to deepen your discipleship with Jesus. And we can attempt that in many ways, but I would have no idea if you're really authentically following Jesus, because I can't look into your heart. But I am confident that if you're doing what we call the seven marks of discipleship, Jesus will be actively working in your life. So we came up with seven marks. More than that is too much to remember, so we just kept it to seven. But notice the first three reflect the Trinity. First one is I revel in the Father's grace. The Father loves us. He pours his grace upon us. It's grace upon grace upon grace. We want you to live aware of that because God's love and grace towards us becomes the fountain of love towards others, and love is the fulfillment of the law. When we revel in his grace, 
we become better lovers in the sense that God loves us. The second one is I connect daily with Jesus and his word. So every day I'm going to converse with Jesus and I'm going to get some portion of his word into me because the word shows me who Jesus is and, and shows me how to live. But I don't just want to be a book guy. I also want to have a relationship with Jesus. We need both. And then we respond to the Spirit as he leads. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He'll guide you. He'll comfort you. He's with you. Respond to him as he leads. And then I desire Jesus more than sin. The triune God is love. And only a greater love will displace in our hearts a love for sin. So as we grow in our awareness of God's love for us, we start to love him more than sin. Next, I do life with those who point me to Jesus. The Trinity is a relationship we are designed and called to intimate relationship with others. And if you're in a grow group or if you're a grow group leader, the goal of that is interaction with God's word in authentic relationship with other people. Authentic enough for us to share our struggles. Authentic enough for someone to encourage us in our faith. And then I pursue justice to show mercy and walk humbly. Love to those who need it most is justice. Love to those we normally do not love is mercy. And justice and mercy is societal love, not just loving on a few individuals in our lives. And we're humble. <clears throat> we're no better than anyone else. And then I invest in someone far from God because we want others to know the fullness of knowing this triune God. <clears throat> the reformer John Calvin wrote this. We cannot think of God without thinking of him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God all alone is not God. But God from eternity is love. Unquote. This is the God who loves you. Warm your hearts at the fire of God's love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. You sent your son to die for us. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. You willingly went to the cross for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you love us. It's you in us that calls us to cry out to God in love, Abba, Father. So Lord, I pray that we, along with all the saints, would know how high and wide and deep is your love for us, a love that surpasses understanding. 
But we pray as that the full measure that we can grasp it, that we indeed would grasp it. Do that in us now. Even now, Lord, we revel in your grace. We fight back the lies of the enemy who would say that we are not loved, that we are not delighted in. We answer back to the enemy with the gospel. You are my son. You are my children in whom I delight. In this truth, we live and move and have our being. Praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.